It's a great honor and a privilege for me to be here with you all on this sacred occasion. How many of you are here for the first time? Ah, wonderful. And how many of those are, are here for the first time to a, a satsang? The traditional yogic texts say that a, a yogic life is built on four pillars, and attending a satsang is one of those. The other three are simplicity, leading a simple life without excess, without ostentation, without wastage. A life of accuracy and pristine purity and clarity, simplicity in dress, in words, in actions. How many of you feel simplicity is an ideal, a value for yourselves in life? Oh, okay, you've got one quarter of the yogic life down. <laughs> the second one's harder it's truthfulness. A yogi is dedicated to being truthful. And more than just truthful in a factual sense, but leading an authentic life. How many of you are doing that one? Okay. A few hands that are too humble to go up very high. And probably more of you are striving. How many of you are striving to lead a truthful life? Okay, so you've got two out of four. <laughs> Let's see if we can go for three. The third one is seva, or service. To lead a life that's not based on getting as much as you can for yourself, but of giving as much as you can to the world. Of being as selfless, as egoless, as generous as you can be with your time and your energy to help bring peace to the world, beauty, light, love, joy. How many of you are striving for that one? Yes. Wow. Well, a lot of you here already have three and now tonight you've got the fourth one. So you're already sat yogis. Now, a satsang, for those of you who haven't into one. The word sat, you'll notice, appears a lot in our discourse here. Sat refers to the supreme beingness, the truth of what we are when we take away all the falseness and all of the mediated and artificial aspects of ourselves, when we get down to what is natural and eternal in ourselves. And yoga means yoke, union. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy, it was a mistranslation. He really said, my yoga is easy. <laughs> but I think they had reasons for not putting yoga in the translation. <laughs> but that's what Jesus was a yogi. The yoga tradition was already ancient throughout that part of the world. And he was a member of the Essene yogis. So yoga has been around since the dawn of history. And yogis are those 
who are dedicated to achieving union with the Supreme Beingness and embodying that in their lives. And the result of that is inner peace and a sense of oneness with all that is. And along with that comes beautiful feelings, sublime feelings of love. And the opening of one's intelligence and our creativity to our maximum potential. So how many of you would like to be Satyogis? Oh, beautiful. All right. So a satsang is a place where we come together in holy communion. I'm sure you've heard that word before. But we are communing on two levels. One, we're creating an energy field together by all being in our real self together. Not trying to be in the ego and impress people and have a chattering mind, but be very centered and silent and empowered and allow the heart to open and then let that energy augment and synergize with everyone else's energy and we create a beautiful field of energy in which we are saturated and in which the energy of love is sent out into the world as an offering. So this is an act of service. We're not here just to get something for ourselves, but to be a relay, a transceiver. We receive it and we transmit it outward. We share the energy of peace and love with the world that's in great need of such energies. And so when we're in satsang together, we are communing from the place of sat, from the place of our real being. And when we do that, there's a release and a letting go that happens. Can you feel that already happening? Allow yourself just to be in your center. Being here now in this moment without thinking about any other time or place in the past or the future. They say there are seven steps or phases in the process of achieving the fulfillment of a yogic life, which is liberation, complete liberation, not only from the ego, but from this whole wheel of birth and rebirth. And the first is, you must have a longing for that. And I assume you all have a longing for liberation and for peace and for divine love or you wouldn't be here. Is that true? Do you all have a longing for that? Yes. Okay, so the first phase is already complete. And then the second phase, of course, is the practice. You have to do something about that longing. And the main practice is simply being. But that's not as easy as you might imagine, to just be and to stop the onward movement of the mind that constantly wants to chatter and to be somewhere else and to 
fill the silence with noise. And so there is a, a stage of contemplation of our beingness. And that leads to the third stage of actually being able to taste it, to taste the bliss of the Supreme Being that is within us all, the Holy Spirit, the pure Atman, and to realize that you are that. And many people reach that third stage also very easily. You can even reach it tonight. Most of you will. Maybe all of us will reach that tonight. But then the next stage is that you want to stay in that state, but you fall from it. And that's when the battle begins. And that's when many people think, oh, it's not worth it. Because we have to then begin a a struggle with the inner demons of the unconscious mind that want to sabotage our happiness. You know, we tend to think that it's only people out there who sabotage our happiness, but it's actually we who are responsible for that. Right? We set that up. And, and once we assume our own responsibility for our happiness, then life begins to get a lot better. How many of you got, have gotten past the stage of blaming other people for your unhappiness. Yeah. Uh -huh. Beautiful. Wow, this is a very mature group. I'm impressed. I, I bow to you. You already have the major secret of life under your belt. And so once that is achieved, then there comes the, the phase of what is called vairagya, or dispassion. The desires and the fears of anything on the external plane no longer interest you. Because you realize that what you're looking for and have been looking for in your life is within you. You are that. And you don't need it in the form of any object or person or position or place or anything external that is always going to be temporary and create more anxiety. And so once you know that you are that which you have been seeking, that's when you can go to the next phase and really abide in that place. Stay consistently. Every day and every moment of every day, abiding in the center of your heart and not being disturbed by things, refusing to let anything disturb your peace of mind. How many have reached that point where you refuse to let anything disturb your peace? Yes, we have a few, yeah? Okay. How many want to reach that stage? Ah, wonderful, okay. We have serious yogis here. And then in the final phase, not only do you abide in that, but you melt into it. The ego dissolves once and for all into the vastness, the emptiness that is fullness. You know, it's interesting. The Buddhists call it emptiness and the Hindus call it fullness. And sometimes they argue with each other. But realize, they don't realize often that it's the same. Carl Jung called it the pleroma, 
which also is another fancy word for the fullness. But every religious tradition, although they may have different words for it, and you can call it grace, and you can call it nirvana, and Buddha nature, and you can come up with many, many names, and they're all beautiful. But they all refer to the same ultimate goal that all of us have, and that it is our birthright to achieve. That nothing can stop us from achieving it if we wish it wholeheartedly. It's only that we're of two minds. And often we want to hold on to something that's incompatible with that inner peace. And that's what takes the great maturity of knowing what to let go of in order to remain centered in the state of grace. And gradually our intellect, our booty, becomes clearer and clearer and we begin to realize the ways that we've been sabotaging ourselves on subtler and subtler levels until we get to the root of the fantasies that have been motivating us to deny ourselves or to cheat ourselves of our own bliss. And we realize that it was based on some illusion from childhood or a past life even because we had identified our happiness with something that we had then projected out into the physical world, some lost person or relationship that brought us into a state of nostalgia or even melancholia and wouldn't allow us to be fully present in the now and accept that this is where it's at. And everything is perfect and you don't need anything that you don't already have at this very moment. Now, can you feel what it's like psychologically to be in that state? Where you have everything right now. There's nothing to seek and nothing to run away from. then you're truly in satsang. And so this is what it is to lead an authentic life. And it doesn't mean sitting in a cave and it doesn't mean avoiding other people, quite the contrary. It's a life in which your creative juices reach their maximum and you find newer and more beautiful ways always to express the joy within you. And you learn that you can cooperate with others and create a community of love and of joy and synergize with others because it's hard to create a lot of things on your own, but when you come together with others, then it's unlimited what can be achieved. And the problem is that today people don't get along very well with each other. There's too much cynicism, too much fear, too many ego defenses, too much rivalry, too much competitiveness. All of the things that are indoctrinated into us in our early years of life in a school system that tells you this is the way life is, then becomes our own enemy when we want to come out of that box 
but we're afraid that if we come out of this tank that we've been driving through life, that we'll get shot at. We need the armoring. And no one's willing to take the risk of coming out with a white flag and declaring peace because they're afraid they'll get shot by the other who hasn't heard about this peace yet. <laughs> this is the main obstacle. But it turns out there's nothing to be afraid of. That's the great joke. Because when you're in your immortal self, you don't fear death, you don't fear ridicule, you don't fear other people's rejection. And they're all just waiting for somebody to come out of the tank and say the war is over. So why don't you be first on your block? to raise the white flag. And if you do that in your own family, and if you do that with your own circle of friends, then that message will spread quickly. You know, uh, chaos theory has shown that, right? The butterfly flapping its wings in China will affect the, the weather in, uh, in the US. It looks like there've been a lot of butterflies lately in China from all the <laughs> tornadoes doing some crazy stuff but it is true that one person becoming peaceful and releasing that energy of love into the world has an incalculably large effect and you won't know what that effect is but it will mysteriously be disseminated throughout the whole world the whole cosmos And the more that we're willing to live in that state, the more we receive from the source the energy and the empowerment to keep going and to get ever stronger in our work as catalysts, change agents to transform human consciousness as a whole. And many, many blessings come to us for being willing to courageously live the truth of our being. And so I hope you will give yourself the joy of knowing what it's like to lead a totally fulfilling life. Fulfilling not just the pleasures of the ego or the responsibilities or the conventional life goals that you were told you were supposed to fulfill. But beyond that, the true desire of your heart. And in every human heart, there beats this longing to achieve union with God. So although on one level it seems hard to do that because the mind has a tendency to keep chattering when we sit to meditate and many people say, oh, I can't meditate. Right? How many people think you can't meditate? There's one. An honest person. <laughs> okay. You can, okay? But it requires a desire that overcomes the negative belief that you have that you can't stop your mind. 
okay? Of course you can do it. It's your mind. It's not someone else's mind. You can push the off button. You can do that. But there is a, a, a psychological fact that we feel it is not our own mind. We feel that our mind has been colonized by some big other that controls us and that we owe some duty to that mind to keep thinking a certain kind of thoughts and having certain kind of desires and intentions that are not our own, but that will hurt somebody else if we stop doing that. And so the ego keeps playing its game in order to support some imaginary other that's really this internalized memory image of someone in the distant past, probably your mother or father. And you can't stop and be yourself because you will let go of that connection and there's almost sometimes a, an actual conscious feeling of, oh, they'll die if I stop thinking about them or if I'm not totally obsessed with some goal that they told me I should have in life. And we're living somebody else's life. How many of you are living somebody else's life? No, don't put your hands up. <laughs> no, it's good that you can, because you know what? It's nearly universal. And we shouldn't feel shame about it. And we should know that this is the human condition. Because we're brought up in a, a, a state when we're very young that we're helpless. And so we want to please the other. And of course, sometimes if the other doesn't please us, then we turn opposite to that and we want to ram it down the throat of the other. But in either case, we're hooked into having some relationship with some other and that gets turned into this constant chatter in the mind where we're talking to somebody who doesn't even exist. And we have to know that we have the right to stop talking and stop listening particularly stop listening to a voice that tells you that you're no good or that you can't meditate or that you're not allowed to have bliss because other people are suffering somewhere. You know, all of that has to be let go of. And you, you have the ability to do that and the right to do that. And once you can do that without feeling guilty, you're free. But then comes the anxiety that once your mind is silent, there's a terror of loneliness. How many of you have ever felt that? Yeah. The terror of loneliness. It'll hit you in the middle of a very blissful meditation. When you're too quiet for too long, and then suddenly you feel, well, what happens if, if I can't ever connect to anyone else again, right? And you feel this vastness within your own mind because the mind is boundless infinite. And when you let go of the boundary of thinking you're a bodily being and you realize you're pure consciousness and you're non-localizable, you're everywhere and nowhere, just like light. In fact, you are light. And you know when you go at the speed of light, there is no time and no space because light is everywhere. It's not just a particle but a wave that is everywhere. The whole universe is really made of light. Did you know that? How many of you know that the universe is light? You should know that. I don't know if they teach that in schools yet, but Einstein figured that out in 1905. Mm. And light can convert into matter and energy. And voila, we have this illusion. 
that we're material beings, but really your body is made of light. Every subatomic particle down there will reduce to a photon. And the whole universe is light. And when we start meditating and we go from the particle form, which, in which we think we're a material body, to the waveform again, we realize we're part of this single quantum wave that makes up the entire universe. But because we are the entire universe, suddenly there is no other. We're alone. But it's not the aloneness of an ego in a cold, cruel world. It's the aloneness of God. The all-oneness. And if we can go from the aloneness to the all-oneness and make that gap something that becomes crossed and the realization that we are both nothing and everything simultaneously, then we are free. And we never have to contract again back into the feeling that we're just a, a physical, perishable body in a dangerous world and go back into the same defense mechanisms again. And we can live prudently, but blissfully, knowing that we are not the body, but we are the consciousness that inhabits and works through the body, but that this consciousness is infinite. And that the consciousness that we are is ultimately in resonance with the creative conscious power that has brought the whole universe into manifestation. We are one with the creator. We are not just creatures of that creator. That's the great insight of the Eastern religions. You'll even find it in the West. You'll find it in Christianity, but uh, the sages and saints who discovered it had to be pretty quiet about it talk between the lines. The same with Islam, you know, you could get burned at the stake in a lot of religions if you talk about this oneness. But this is the original truth of all religion. And it's a scientific fact now. And so when we recognize that this is our true self and this is our birthright to experience the bliss of the infinite, why are we living in a finite box? a consciousness with blinders on that's motivated by programmings from the past and unaware of its true nature. There's no reason to be stuck in that anymore. The good news is we can free ourselves from the false ego consciousness, which is suffering inherently, and live in grace and bliss now this very moment just by choosing it. How many of you are ready to choose it? Good. And so the act of choosing it is simply the act of bringing your attention inward to your own source and staying in the silence and feeling what it's like to be. Not to do, not to think, not to imagine, not to emote, not to worry, but just to be. Okay, that's all we're going to do. That's what meditation is. 
That's why you don't need any rules or techniques because when you stop doing and you enter the state of being, there really isn't an ego anymore. The false sense of being a doer dissolves in that. And it's like the raindrop that falls into the ocean and becomes one with the ocean. You can't retrieve that drop anymore, can you? It's part of the ocean now. And so when you meditate long enough and allow the drop of your ego consciousness to fall all the way into the ocean of love that is God, you will dissolve and melt into it. And then what happens at the end of that meditation is that the whole ocean moves through you not just a single drop anymore. How many of you would like to be in that oceanic consciousness tonight? Yeah? Okay. Beautiful. Ah, two hands. Good. Beautiful. Because you have that right and that power.